Hello, and welcome to the Stockout. Mike Bowden is still here from FreightWaves, uh, analyst and market expert uh, following the rail and intermodal industries, as well as the CPG industries. Uh, this is one of uh, many uh, freight casts that we have that can be found on all uh, podcast players. What's different about this one is uh, that uh, I dig into what's happening in the world of the CPG industry, including uh, what's happening in the transportation industry that directly uh, relates to uh, CPGs. And uh, today, uh, I have a good show. We're going to have Raj Patel, who's the Vice President of Industry Strategy and 3PLs for Four Kites, a company that uh, FreightWaves knows well. We've, we've written a number of articles about them. They provide end-to-end supply chain visibility solutions for shippers, including a lot of the big CPG companies. Um, really kind of impressive the, the, you know, how many uh, great logos uh, they have. I think it says on their website they have you know, nine of the ten largest uh, CPG companies as a customer. So, so quite a, a thing to, to boast there. Um, so, uh, you know, if, if CPG news, uh, supply chain news is something that's up your alley, uh, I would encourage you to go to www.freightwaves.com forward slash the stockout and sign up for my newsletter, which I try to get two of them out uh, every week. Um, and uh, feel free to sign up for the other newsletters that we have there, um, including those on, on brokers, carriers, Etc. Um, and would also encourage uh, folks who are available uh, in early May to join us at the Future of Supply Chain Conference in Northwest Arkansas at the Rogers Convention Center. It's going to be a great time. First uh, in-person uh, conference that we've had uh, since November of 2019. So it has been a while. See the, see the graphics there. Um, a lot to, to look forward to on uh, May 9th and 10th. So hope to see some loyal uh, stockout readers and listeners uh, there. Um, you know, with that, I'll head into the first uh, topic, which I think is good news. Talked a little bit about it this morning on FreightWaves Now, which operations are going to fully resume on Canadian Pacific Railway after the railroad and Teamsters agreed to binding arbitration. What that means is we agree that this arbitrator is the umpire and uh, we're going to abide by the, call, the balls and strikes that he calls. And, uh, you know, that's going to be that. Uh, people are going to be back at work, see the picture of a CP locomotive hauling uh, tank cars, probably some uh, crude oil from the uh, Alberta oil sands would be would be my guess on those uh, shorter uh, tank cars. Um, so this impacts you know three thousand conductors that you know basically stopped working uh, overnight on Saturday night into Sunday. Um, so it's good news that those are going to be back, and and it's it's really a positive for those involved in agriculture of agriculture commodities as as inputs. Um, you know, right now, uh, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen exactly with the you know Ukraine. Uh, not being able to export the agriculture commodities that it does. You know, Russia, probably few com- countries are going to be buying those uh, exports. So, um, you know, really it makes the Canadian exports of grain and uh, fertilizer, including, you know, a lot of, lots of potash and grain is exported um, out, the, out the port of uh, Vancouver, makes those exports, uh, you know, more critical. So consider that to be good news. We have a, a chart on uh, wheat prices and, and, and you see, What's happened to wheat prices after the um, after the, the invasion of, of, of Ukraine? You see them spike up um, and, and have come down just a little bit, but still, you know, well above. Let's call it thirty percent above where where it was um, before Russia invaded Ukraine. So um, markets are still in turmoil, uh, making things difficult for CPG companies that are, that, that use you know grain as uh, in, in basic ingredients. Um, you know, also while I'm on the topic of, uh, you know, exports from North America, there's a good article that I encourage you to read on FreightWaves.com written by John Gallagher, uh, talking about how the FMC, uh, this is a federal maritime commission is, uh, pressuring carriers to do more exports. 
these are the ocean carriers I'm, I'm speaking of. So the ocean carriers make all their money on, on, on imports, you know, haven't um, been giving the really the service that's you know needed on, on, on a lot of the exports. Um, and, you know, look, look at some of the, the, the data there where, uh, you know, 21% of, of total uh, confirmed export sales were lost due to carrier um, undependability. Um, and 85% of, of U.S. agriculture exporters report that overseas uh, customers have shifted their purchases to other countries um, because of lack of dependable, you know, delivery and, and additional costs. So, um, you know, hopefully that causes uh, agriculture companies to have a little bit easier time with the FMC, FMC paying a little bit more attention to that. Uh, topic number two, which, you know, I'm not going to go into as much detail as I did on uh, FreightWaves uh, now, but, uh, you know, J.B. Hunt uh, announced last week uh, it's going to acquire 40,000 additional containers, domestic intermodal containers over the next three to five years. And I bring this up on the stock out because a lot of CPG companies, uh, of course, they use a lot of truckload. They, a lot of them also use a lot of intermodal. Those that are, that are moving um, you know, goods longer hauls uh, use a lot of, of, of intermodal. Uh, you know, General Mills was, was one of the, the, the early adopters of um, uh, intermodal uh, for, its, for its long haul shipments. It's true of a lot of other uh, CPG companies as, as, as well. Um, and uh, you know, what I liked about the press release uh, uh, from, from J.B. Hunt is, is really it's going to be more than just purchasing you know this huge number of containers in the next three to five years it's really they're, they're working with their partner uh you know burlington northern santa fe on you know things like um you know bn is going to be taking delivery of of uh you know rail well cars is going to be adding capacity to the rail terminals um jb hunt is going to be adding a chassis in addition to containers so it is going to be a multi-pronged approach in order to restore the, the some of the fluidity that was lost in the last year with all of the congestion and, and really sort of restoring intermodal back to being a growth uh, area. So I think that's also, you know, good news um, for shippers. And, and really sort of the main you know, question I got on that this morning was sort of why, why now? And uh, I think it has a lot to do with, um, you know, not only the, the service issues that have come up in intermodal last couple of years, but just uh, some of these other domestic intermodal companies that compete with J.B. Hunt, like Schneider and Knight Swift, saw those two announcements um, you know, in recent months where they're moving their uh, intermodal business in the West from BNSF to Union Pacific. I think that frees up more space for, um, for J.B. Hunt uh, to uh, have even a bigger partnership with uh, uh, BNSF. Uh, of course, that was the original um, you know, partnership in uh, intermodal. So, that's a quick overview. Uh, there's more on uh, freightways.com if you want to dig more into those uh, site, th those topics. Um, but now I want to bring on our guest, uh, you know, Raj Patel, uh, Vice President of Global Industry Strategy and 3PLs at Forkites. Um, Raj Patel has, has over uh, 25 years of supply chain experience helping Fortune, 5 company, or Fortune 500 companies improve their supply chains. Uh, Forkites offers end-to-end uh, -end supply chain visibility to a range of shippers, including a lot of, uh, of, the, of the big major uh, uh, CPGs. Uh, Raj, thank you for being here. Hi, uh, thank you for having me, and I'm excited to talk about this topic that's uh, dear to my heart. That's great. Uh, why don't you give a little bit more of an overview of Forkites, just for those who aren't, who aren't familiar. Uh, yeah, so uh, as uh, you talked a lot about the, the transportation world, uh, visibility, Forkites is the leader in end-to-end uh, -end visibility, as we call it, um, all modes, all nodes, and all signals. Uh, whether it's over the road, rail, ocean, air, parcel, uh, our platform allows CPG companies to be able to track their, you know, product from origin to destination and be able to provide actionable insights to make decisions along their supply chain, um, you know, uh, 
in order to make better decisions um, from a visibility perspective. So at a very high level, granular level, uh, that's what we do. Yeah, that's really important. And, um, you know, I think maybe even now, so maybe more, more than ever, um, can you talk a little bit about just start with demand? I mean, what, you know, what's happening with the CPG, you know, uh, world and in, in, in demand? I know not all CPGs are the same, but it seems like there's more, um, you know, sort of uncertainty now, given, um, you know, people's behaviors changed somewhat after the pandemic and um, you know, the rising inflation, you know, may or may not change behavior of, of, of consumers. Yeah, so I, I think uh, a lot of CPG companies have a lot of questions to ask, right? The first and foremost is, uh, how will inflation affect the consumer spending, right? Uh, I, I think a lot of them are, are tackling that question first. Second is, um, you know, will the consumer behavior continue, right? So we've had this for now two years. Uh, the whole pandemic, the whole online buying, is that going to continue? Will brick and mortar come back? Will it be a hybrid model? Um, and then what is going to be the potential of future variants, right? I mean, I know uh, 80% of the U.S. is vaccinated now. That's uh, eligible. But we hear every day of new variants uh, that are coming out. And then, um, you know, there's a couple other things, right? Disruptions. You know, people talk a lot about disruptions in the last two or three years, right? We've had the COVID. We've had Suez Canal. We've had ports shutting down. We've had all this. But people don't realize, I mean, we've had supply chain disruptions for the last 25, 30, 50 years, or long as you can think about supply chain. So disruptions are going to continue to happen. So how do you, you know, how do you continue to tackle that, to be agile and resilient? And then, um, you know, what are going to be the market conditions that are going to impact CPG companies in particular, and what are they going to do about that? So I think there's a lot of factors that CPG companies are having to deal with right now of, hey, if I produce this, will the consumer buy it? And if the consumer buys it, what, what price are they going to buy it? And where do I need it uh, in order for them to buy it? And, and so forth. So there's a lot of questions um, that CPG companies have to um, tackle and address. And, um, you know, visibility is a, is a key component of how do you answer those questions. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it, it's it really seems like it's, it's more uncertainty now than, than there typically you know, is. Um, it's going to see how all this shakes out. Um, you know, during, I guess, the recent you know, a couple of years, have you seen a big change in what CPG companies are doing with inventory levels? I mean, it seemed like one of the interesting things that I came across was that, um, you know, C, uh, CPG companies have had this, this elevated level of demand because of the stay at home. They didn't know if that was going to continue, sort of suspect it didn't continue. They, they, you know, engaged in a more contract manufacturing. Now they have more inventory in more places and it's created just more complex supply chains have you seen similar things and, um, you know, what have been some of the big changes to CPG supply chains during the pandemic era? Yeah. So, I mean, if you look historically, right. So uh, if you go from that just in time or just to make model to now, Hey, I got to carry inventory because I don't know what's going to happen. Right. Um, COVID taught a lot of CPG companies that, Hey, inventory needs to be in stock. And, you know, a lot of CFOs will probably yell at this in the sense that, hey, why are we carrying so much inventory? I think we're carrying it because just in case I need it. Uh, the question is now, do I have the right inventory and do I have it in the right place uh, to meet the consumer demand? And I think that's what CPG companies are, are struggling with, right? So let's take a step back and look at the consumer behavior, right? Um, Last two years for CPG companies, I think it's been a, a very good time. Uh, whether you look at the stimulus packages uh, from the government, 
the spending power of the consumer, being able to, to buy. And then now you suddenly have, we're at a flexion point where, you know, vaccinated, the stimulus and the government intervention has stopped. Inflation has taken over. We have a lot of external factors as far as global disruption, whether it be Ukraine, um, you know, the, the war and all that going on. Prices are going up. Labor still has not flatlined in the sense that there's still a labor shortage. Um, the labor prices or the hourly wage is still high. So CPG companies have to really tackle questions of who is my buyer? What am I selling? Can I sell it? And if I do sell it, who do I buy from and, and who and where do I get it? Right. The questions I said earlier on. And I, and I think that's what they're forced with to, to determine that and with, to make those decisions. What is visibility and what is all the data that I'm gathering as a company telling me? And if you look at some of these CPG companies, they're saying, OK, my buyer that is in lower income who relied heavily during the pandemic, um, you know, on the stimulus, they were buying X, Y and Z. Here's the channels. Here's the places. Will they continue? That's a decision I have to make. The, the folks that were middle or higher, um, you know, from a um, overall demographics, they have disposable. Are they going to continue to buy being vaccinated and so forth? And what are they going to buy? And what, what products do I need to order or have on my shelves? Do I need to carry my entire portfolio from a CPG perspective? So a lot of good questions and tough questions that you have to ask. And then ultimately, you have to say, am I buying from the right vendor? Am I getting the best land at cost that, you know, that I potentially can get? And if something like what is happening in Europe right now happens, uh, what is my mitigation? You know, should I be dual sourcing? Should I be near sourcing? Like, what are some of the other things that I should be doing or should be looking at um, to be agile, to be resilient? I mean, all the buzzwords that a lot of folks talk about, but, you know, and I always, I always have said this is agility, resiliency comes with a cost. And I think it's truly now CPGs are having to say, I want to be agile. I want to be resilient. I want to be sustainable. I want to be reliable. I want to be, you know, um, dual. Everything, it comes with a cost. And at what cost am I willing to do that to service my consumer? And then, and what data do I need to make those decisions the best or most effectively to ensure I'm, I'm doing the right thing? Yeah, very much so. And, and cost really has been the big issue in CPG over the last year. I mean, sort of last year, you know, they weren't too worried about inflation. It's gone from that to having, you know, lots of margin contraction throughout the CPG industry last year. They were hoping, I think, to get it back this year. So far, prices, input prices haven't gone the way they, they've been hoping. Um, I mean, when you look at a product like yours, how does that help, you know, CPG companies just trying to at least mitigate the degree of inflation that they're seeing in things like packaging, transportation costs, ingredient costs, et cetera? Yeah, so um, <laughs> I think first, you, you know, you look at the macroeconomics, right? So inflation, initially we had said six, seven, and now from what, what I've been hearing, it could potentially even hit eight, right? So uh, at what point does the consumer, depending on what tier you put them in, what are they going to buy? How are they going to buy it? through what channels and, and so forth. So as a CPG company, you have to determine, um, let's just say, for example, you're carrying 100,000 SKUs. You know, you, uh, you have brick and mortar, you carry 70,000 in store and 30,000 plus the 70 online, 100,000. How do you rationalize that SKU portfolio? And then you start looking at what am I buying? Who am I buying from? And is the product getting there? What are my margins? So when you look at a company like ours, Four Kites, we give you the data and the analysis to be able to make those decisions. 
I ordered from vendor A from China and here's what I ordered and here's the ports that it came in and here's where the product came in, landed cost, and here's how I got it to you know my warehouses and ultimately to my brick and mortar or to my online channel. And then that's just one SKU, right? So if you start looking at more and more SKUs, you start taking the data and making actionable insights or making decisions that the data is telling us. Maybe I shouldn't carry this SKU because I, you know, nine out of 10 times, it's not getting there. It's not delivered on time. Or maybe I'm choosing the wrong port. Maybe I shouldn't go to LA and maybe I should go to Savannah or maybe I should go to Houston or maybe I go to Northeast. And then what are the costs inland to move it uh, by rail, by air, expedited or over the road? So all those data points help you make a decision for a CPG company to say, one, am I ordering the right stuff based on what my consumers are asking for? And, you know, we talked about profiling the consumer. And then secondly, am I getting it most effectively from the right vendors? Uh, And then thirdly, am I able to get it here landed cost effectively and get it to where it needs to be, whether it be to a distribution center, whether to be a brick and mortar or whether it be to an end consumer and still make money at it. And I I think that's where, um, you know, a lot of CPG companies are saying we we've had the, I don't want to call it the golden period because it was a bad period for the whole world, right? We were in a pandemic, Mm -hmm. but everybody needed the CPG essentials and cost was, was not a concern to the consumer. Now with inflation, I have to balance that. Hey, do I drive on a vacation or do I fill my car and go to work? Uh, wages are gone up, which is good. But in my opinion, wages are going to probably stabilize the uh, rest of this year and, and later this year. And they'll probably balance out. And once they balance out, then consumers are going to have to make some tough decisions. Do I buy my essentials? Do I put gas in my car? I got to go to work. I got to balance all this. And that's where you know CPG companies will have to come in and say, again, am I buying the right stuff? Am I, you know, getting it at the cost where I can afford it and my consumers can afford it based on the inflation and based on everything that's going on? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the, the trends I saw, too, was, was just uh, CPG companies rationalizing the number of, of SKUs. You know, you don't need, you know, 30 different types of diapepsy on, on the shelves. Um, so so what, one thing you touched on was some of these transportation modal shifts. Um, you know, what have you seen there um, past couple of years with, with transportation, you know, modal shifts, either going from, you know, things that were, would, would have gone ocean to air or from, they might, might have gone intermodal to, to, to truck, you know, gone to back to truckload just with, you know, all the congestion. Have you, have you seen significant, you know, modal shifts? Yeah. I mean, you, you know, let's, if you say within the disruption period, right, when we talk about the whole COVID and ships being, uh, you know, backed up in, in LA and so forth, uh, you've seen the likes of the Home Depots and the Ikea's and the Costco, uh, you know, they're getting their own ships um, or charting their own ships and picking their ports where they can get, you know, clearance and so forth uh, based on your commodity and or not commodity based on your product and the price and the margin. Uh, I've, I've seen shift where it went from ocean to air just to get product. But I mean, you're not going to see an Apple go from, they've never been on ocean, right? They've always been air. They might've gone from regular air to expedited air, but uh, we have seen, some modal shift, but the most shift I've seen is once it gets inland, once it clears, you are already behind the gun of, hey, uh, initially it was going to be intermodal uh, and going rail. Now I need to get it very quick. So I don't want to rely on, on rail and nothing against rail, but I want to get it in on a truck over the road and I want to get it to my distribution center so I can get it to my demand base, which then got us into the problem of capacity in uh, T 
TL and LTL, right? Because everybody's trying to say, as soon as I know I got this product, I want to move it. I want to control it. I want to get it to my DCs and I'm not going to rely on rail and, and, and all the other stuff. But I, I'm starting to see that balance out a little bit um, as far as rail technology is getting better. Uh, predictability is getting better. Companies like ours that are giving you more predictability and saying based on uh, AIML, we can tell you when it's going to get there. And if the time difference is only, you know, five hours, one day, and the cost is substantial, then you're going to say, okay, I'm going to continue doing rail because I can get that reliability. So modal shifts uh, happen in very extreme situations, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. there'll be a time I think in Q3, Q4, we'll balance out to, Companies that were doing intermodal are going to go back to intermodal, um, assuming on time continues to be, um, you know, fulfilled or met. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, you know, another question here, I mean, you have on your website, uh, one of the ways that um, CPG company can, can, can use you um, effectively is to avoid these OTIF fees, these, these I guess, um, on time and full fees that a retailer might charge to a CPG company. Do you have any um, examples of... Um, of, of that taking place or, um, you know, what a CPG company can do to avoid those, those fees. I mean, they can be pretty punitive on a, you know, to, to a big retailer like a Walmart. Uh, yeah. So, you know, when we look at OTIF, uh, the first and foremost is right. When a truck leaves a warehouse, uh, I, I think it's the warehouse responsibility to ensure that everything that was ordered or what's on the ASN is, um, is, is on that truck going to his destination. From our perspective, from a forecast perspective, it is our responsibility to give you the tracking to ensure when the product's going to get there. And obviously, there's penalties um, that come along. If I'm an hour late, two hours late, five hours late, one day late, all those fees, uh, when you don't have visibilities, obviously, um, they rack up on the CPG company. Or um, there's no planning or pre-planning to ensure appointment scheduling and, and things of that nature. And when those penalties add up for a CPG company, I think it can get pretty substantial of, hey, I don't know where the truck is. I don't know when it's going to get there. And then, you know, um, at the destination, they're saying, hey, I'm expecting a truck. It's not here. And if it is here or I got labor assigned, all that all that cost just adds up. And I think that's what ends up, you know, being costly for the CPG companies. 